We are in the Minor Prophets. We're in Zephaniah. Let's take our Bibles and let's go to Zephaniah. Zephaniah. And in Zephaniah, we're going to be in chapter 3. And we're going to go from verse 1 to verse 8. Zephaniah chapter 3. Actually, I'm sorry, verse 1 through 7. Zephaniah chapter 3. Okay. Before we stand and read... One of the biggest, I think there's many problems in American Christianity, many problems, but one of the big problems that I see personally is this idea that people do not like to receive correction. I think that's a difficult thing for God's people. You might be going like, no, that's not true. Like, no, I, I, I. In, in over 20 years of pastoral ministry, looking at churches, looking at discipleship, looking at when people try to actually get authentic and real in their relationships. No, I've seen there's a resistance. And so I've seen it. It seems pretty epidemic that God's people sometimes really struggle, especially in our kind of American Christian culture. I've even seen it as a pastor over years. I've seen where people are almost like as a pastor, if you're If you're showing them from the scriptures, it's almost like a, how dare you? Who do you think you are? I have known, personally as a pastor, I've, I've seen the, the way that as a pastor, you can be disposed of and dismissed in someone's life pretty quickly when you bring correction. Now, sometimes pastors bring correction in a haughty, prideful, arrogant manner, and that's on those pastors. But then even when it's in humility, even when it's confessing my own sin first, I've seen that. It's a problem. It actually really is a problem. I, I, I see it in discipleship all the time where any discipling relationships where that spiritual leader discipling that person is the relationship has grown. They're bringing correction. And then that person in that discipling relationship tends to just kind of phase out at that point, which in any discipling relationship you're in, if if you're in one and you find yourself not wanting to participate anymore because of correction, then that the problem might not be them. The problem might actually be you. Correction. It's, it's something even that we don't really like. I mean, doesn't it kind of make us... I mean, anytime I bring have a, a situation where I've got to bring correction, there's a little bit of a faintness of my breath, a little bit of fear of how they're going to respond, a, a little bit of trembling. Is anybody with me on that? Do you get that? Correction. It's hard. It's a hard thing. I would say this. If you are going to bring correction, the prerequisites for correction is Matthew chapter 7, where first you've looked at the log in your own eye before you've taken the speck out of your brother. So anytime you bring correction in life, you actually have to do it with this thing of you've got to see the bigness of your own sin first. If you don't do that, I guarantee you, the motivation of your heart in that moment is going to be haughtiness pridefulness. You're not actually bringing correction for their benefit and the glory of God. You're bringing correction so that you can kind of take a position of pride over them. Also, when we go to correct people, Galatians 6, 1 says we must do it in a spirit of meekness, that humility. We must consider that we could be in that same situation if it wasn't for the grace of God. And when those two things are packaged together, correction of somebody from the corrector is has a totally different disposition. Now, that doesn't mean the receiver is going to actually honor that. By the way, y'all okay this morning? Y'all doing okay? All right, good, good. Now, 
as I've been preaching this introduction, I just need to take a small pause. Can I take a small pause? A small pause? Is there any correction that you guys want to bring to me this morning? What's the correction? (laughs) How many of y'all this whole time has been like, Nick, could you please correct that? Because I can't hear a word you say until that gets... Anybody raise hand like that was just going to like... Nobody? Okay, well, fine. That was intentional. I was seeing... I was going to see if anybody would try to bring correction. And none of you did, so you completely blew up my illustration. (laughs) I had to ask for it. Well, that one blew up. Maybe the rest of the message will be better. Correction. One of the hardest things. One of the hardest things. And by the way, it's not only a... It's a problem in American Christianity. And I think one of the big reasons is... It's the pride of people's lives. But then also... The daily taking in of God's word. If you were to look... Actually do this. Hold your place in Zephaniah. You're like, are we ever going to read this? We are. But hold your place in Zephaniah. And I want to point you to a scripture that you know well... But just so you kind of have a rehearsing of it, a remembering in, in our souls. 2 Timothy 3, 16. 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. It comes from God. It's inspired by God. Breathed out. Inspiration. And is profitable. This is 2 Timothy 3, 16. For teaching, that shows you what's right for reproof that shows you what's wrong for correction that shows you how to get right for training in righteousness how to stay right you know one of the reasons that we don't accept when we don't accept correction is because we don't have the word of god laced throughout our life day in and day out now as a pastor people sometimes go well you're always studying scripture because that's your job to preach to people but I have my own separate time with the Lord that's not attached to any sermon preparation, right? Why is that? Because why would I ask you to do something that I'm not doing myself? I, I don't get a cheat just because I'm studying Zephaniah. I've got to be in the scriptures myself. That's why I'm trying to encourage people that can read the one-year chronology with me or have some Bible reading plan daily in the scriptures. Get me. Online, it, we, if you're hearing this. If we are not in the scriptures day in, day out, there is not that correcting force of the Holy Spirit in our life. And it sets us in a vulnerable position that in whatever discipleship communities we're in, we will be hard pressed to receive correction in those moments. The people that receive correction the best are people that tend to have the scriptures in their life. And here's why. Because every time I read the scripture, I get a better understanding of my own sin, a better understanding of his holiness, a better exaltation of the gospel. Because when I see my sin and I see his holiness, I keep getting overwhelmed that for, for the wrath of God that was poured out on the son. And as Romans 8 tells me, if, the, if God didn't withhold his wrath against his son, why, why would I doubt that he would give me all the things in life that I would need? Like, why would I even doubt God's love for me if he wouldn't hold it back on the, of his wrath on his son? Scripture, scripture, scripture. Look in verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We will not receive correction well in our life if we don't have a daily walk with the Lord in the scriptures. This is why you've heard me talk about 2021. Four things the Lord put, in, put on me in 2020 for our church in 2021 to keep emphasizing. A daily time in the scriptures, right? 
Number two, that every Sunday, unless you were sick, providentially hindered, or you're waiting on your vaccine, that you would meet with us here at this church. Until that time, you would join us live online, that that was a rhythm of gathering with God's people. I'm just telling you. I know I'm talking to the choir right here, but for our own souls, we are in vulnerable positions to not receive correction when we haven't gathered with the church body. Number three is with some kind of small group, discipleship group in your own life. Like you have other people you're meeting with in a smaller group. If you don't have that, it's hard to get correction. Number four, that we would gather monthly for a prayer time as a church body. Now, there's not much correction that comes during that. But there is a correction of the Holy Spirit. Some of the best correction in my life has been just in prayer when the Lord reveals it. And I'm I'm telling you, we've done two thus far, and we've had the exact same attendance. Very low. We got more kids that show up at youth ministry on Wednesday night than we have coming to a a Sunday night prayer service. So uh, so what I'm saying is this. Even those things that we've been trying to kind of put in place have been there. And these are... These are graces. Have you ever cleaned your house? And you're like, no, I've never cleaned my house. No, have you ever cleaned your house? And then by the end of the day, you were just like, what happened? Like, I had it all okay this morning. What happened? Have you ever cleared out the dishes? Got them all in the dishwasher before you went to bed, right? And you were just like, oh, it's going to be so great to start the next day. And then you go to work and you get home from work and you're just like, what happened? Well, life happened. Messes happen pretty quick, and they get out of control pretty quick. And for God's people, when we don't have daily exposure to the Word, weekly gathering with the church body, a smaller discipleship group of some sort, small group, discipleship, whatever, and time in prayer with the church body, I'm, I'm telling you, it's our house, our, the, 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 the neatness of the soul quickly gets cluttered. And one of the areas is correction. God's people don't receive correction well, don't take it well. And by the way, in our text today, in Zephaniah chapter 3, the children of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, they are no different. The whole thing that the prophet Zephaniah is zeroing in on, on verses 1 through 7, is they do not receive correction. And God in his grace has been trying to do that, has been using the prophets, has been using the word of God through Moses, has been using their feasts and festivals. God has been doing everything and laying it out, giving them all the opportunities they need And they kept resisting. They would not receive correction. And I think it's something for us as God's people to take a strong evaluation of our own world. Would you do this? Would you stand in reverence to the reading of God's word in verses 1 through 7? We're going to read today. Zephaniah speaking to the southern kingdom of Judah. Let's read what he has to say to them. Chapter 3, verse 1. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled. The oppressing city. Talking about Judah. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust know no shame. 
I have cut off nations. They're in battlements or in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept correction. Then your dwelling would be cut off. Then your dwelling will be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Let's just ask God's help in this text. We see the prophet giving the heart of God. How he tried to come after his people. He offered them grace. They resisted. And their pride, they stiff-necked themselves. They would not receive correction. They would not receive a voice that was contrary to what their own sinful hearts desired. They would not receive the word of God. So Lord, help us to be a people that examine ourselves in light of this text. And also as we make disciples, let this text help us when we try to bring gentle, loving correction. And when it gets rejected, to not take it so personal. Even God's people, Israel here, rejected the good offers. So help us. Let us find grace in this passage today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at our text. The first thing, if you're taking notes and you're wanting to do an outline, first thing we see here is the problem. And what's the problem? God's people will not accept correction. That's the problem we see in the text. God's people will not accept correction. Look in verse 1. Woe to this rebellious and defiled, oppressing city. She listens to no voice. No voice in verse 2. This is a hallmark of people who will not accept God's correction. They just won't listen. They'll listen to no voice. The only voice they'll listen to is a voice that actually agrees with them. And I'm going to tell you this. In all of our discipling relationships, I would tell you, like, if you're in a close relationship with somebody and they've never spoken any kind of correction. Or, I mean, like, my question would be, have you actually been honest with them about your life sometimes? Or even if they have and you instantly took it offensive and actually kind of marked them off or said, like, I'm no longer meeting or talking with you. Like, it really might not be them. It might be more you. But this is, this is kind of what happens sometimes. That The problem is that we don't want to ex- receive voices that say contrary, that go against our sinful habits and actions. And even more so, let me lay this out. I think sometimes we won't hear any voice because we hear other voices. You know what I've noticed in most conflicts all across the board? By the way, um, just so you know, uh, sometimes when you preach a message like this, the thought is, oh, Nick, I bet you're preaching at someone you know what's really great about exposition text? Who decided this text today? It wasn't me. All right, God's word put that in, right? This is not me. This is just the text. So this is not personally going towards anybody. But I will tell you what I've noticed through the years. Sometimes we won't receive God's voice and the right voices because of our relationship with the Lord. But then also sometimes it's because we have other voices And those other voices, all they're doing is they're just coddling our sinful hearts and desires. And a lot of times, here's what happens. There's another brother and brother in Christ, and they're having conflict. Or there's another sister and sister in Christ, they're having conflict. Or husband and wife, and they're having conflict. Or child and parent having conflict. It's whatever conflict is. And instead of going to each other, 
in humility, trying to mediate that out. And if they can't, go and get a neutral mediator, according to Matthew 18, and then invite neutral people in, one, two, three, whatever it takes to get this problem solved, those people tend to find other people that will just agree with them, offer them their skewed perspective. And they like those voices because those voices tend to just affirm whatever they think. Does this sound familiar? We do have a word for that in the Bible when we do those kind of things. It's called gossip. That's what it is. Like, if you and another person have an issue and you decide, we decide, I say you, we, we decide to bring it into somebody else, we're actually blocking off a good voice in our life. Like, this is why sometimes people don't hear the right voices because they have the wrong voices. It is not God's will to take an issue outside of you and another person until you've tried to reconcile that. And if you can't reconcile it, God's process and steps, his word, his corrective word says you and that person get neutral mediators and submit to those mediators. But what do we continually do and continually do and continually do? We decide to run to someone else that will tell us exactly what we want to hear. And it fractures and it fractures and it fractures. So they won't listen. They won't listen to God's voice. They won't listen to the prophet's voice. But you know whose voices they will listen to? To any voice in Judah that lets them and tells them that whatever sin they're involved in is okay. And justifies them. So that's one of the reasons you won't, people won't listen to the voice. Also look in verse 2. He says, they'll accept no correction. No one can correct them. That's a problem. Now do this. Hold your place right here. Then go and look at Romans fifteen fourteen. Romans fifteen fourteen. I showed this to you before, but I want to show it to you again. There's a reason why I think it's so essential for the, our spiritual health, our growth and godliness, that we gather with God's church weekly and that we have some kind of smaller group in some way, discipleship group that we're gathering with. And here's the reason. You cannot grow in the Lord by yourself in a silo. You can't. can't do it. You can't do it. Here's what happens. Like, you should have time in God's word, and then you need time with God's people. We've got to have both. And, and here's what I've noticed. Um, in my own life, there have been things I was thinking in my head that got exposed in whatever community I was in. Like, have you ever thought something in your head, and then as you started verbalizing it, it's almost like you were like, Oh, wow, now that doesn't even sound right. You ever been there? Like, it just starts unwinding. And then you have that friend in Christ that you started unwinding that thought to. And then they kind of offer back some gentle correction. And you're like, man, I'm so thankful that we had a conversation today. Like, I'm, I'm actually okay. But before this conversation, I kind of felt like I was on the edge of life. But, man, I'm okay. We're vulnerable people. We need each other. That's what I'm telling you. You've got to gather with God's people You've got to have environments through the week that you're gathering with God's people. You've got to be able to talk about life, receive the correction. I mean, we are vulnerable people all by ourselves. Even the word of God points that we should be in those ways to help each other. And when you look at Romans chapter 14, verse, chapter 15, verse 14, look what Paul says to the Romans. He says, I myself am satisfied about you. So if Paul's satisfied with what he's about to say, so am I. Through God's inspiration, he says, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness because of the work of the cross, full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. You have 
knowledge you know, especially from the Word of God and His Holy Spirit, to be able to instruct one another. That word instruct is the Greek word nitheteo. It means warn, admonish, teach, correction. You know, God's people gathering together in an environment like this, this is why when you come in, I would prefer that you don't just hit your seat when you first come in or get on your smartphone. Like, here's what I want you to do, actually. I want you to actually talk to people. I want to see, like, would God use a conversation you have with somebody that would make a change in their life? I cannot tell you how many times, and I had no idea that a conversation I had with somebody and what impact it made, and it was a passing conversation. I had someone a couple weeks ago tell me that we had a less than five-minute conversation, and that conversation changed the trajectory of their life. I, I, I wasn't even aware of it. It's amazing. So the scriptures tell us that God's people are able to do this with one another, filled with knowledge, filled with God's word. We're able to instruct. Like this is, and, and just so you know, I love counseling. I got a degree in it. I still do it. I still believe in it. I'm about to finish my certification in marriage counseling. So I'm, I'm doing marriage and family counseling. I already had that training, but getting like a higher level of, of certification in it. I'm like, I've, that's all there. But in the end, let me tell you the people that I notice most times don't need that kind of intervention counseling that, that I can offer. The people that are in God's word daily and have robust interconnected relationships in the body of Christ with people who know the word and can instruct Nuthateo them, they're often actually okay. And I'll tell you this, for, for a large majority, why is counseling such a popular thing? Because sometimes people just need a friend. They need a friend to talk to. But that's what the body of Christ is supposed to be doing for each other. And we're the only ones that actually have his actual truth. And, and, and you know me, in honesty, I, I get worried every time my people go to counselors that are not strictly ones who believe in the core doctrines of Scripture. I get nervous every single time. Here's why I get nervous. Because when you go and see a counselor, it's always in a position of vulnerability. Like, how many people go to a counselor because they feel like life is great? Like, man, life is great today. I'm nailing it. It's a 10 every day. Man, I need to go to counseling. <laughs> How many times does that happen, right? No, when do we go? When we're like hopeless and in despair and we're vulnerable and we're just like, would you just say something that picks me up off the ground? So that's why it's great. But the danger is that counselor has so much sway and never go see a counselor. The first questions you ask a counselor are, do you believe that God's word is the final authority? If there's a hint of quibbling, that person's not for you. You'll get more from your small group of, of a robust discipleship-making small group than you will get somewhere else. God's people are to do this. They can correct each other. God's people, God set this up. You know, it's interesting. I hesitate to tell this story, but I'm going to go ahead. Are y'all okay with stories? Don't worry, it won't, I don't think it'll bomb like my whole little, uh, you know, illustration this morning with my sleeves rolled up. I really expected one of my family members to kind of say something, but, you know, I guess they, I guess they didn't, you know. I was at least expecting it, but. Now, man, I don't know how to say this. Do you know that a pastor can have pride as well? Can you, all of y'all give me a real shocked look? So, uh. It, 
if what I'm about to tell you you're unaware of, that just simply reveals that you are not on our email list, or if you're on our email list, you are simply not reading an email from us, right? And so I would encourage everybody, get on our email list. If you're kind of like, well, I'm not an adult, I'm a teenager, get on our email list. If you're kind of like, ha, you know, email, that's for old people. Like, yeah, I know, but that's all we got, okay? Like, we, like I, I, I don't even know how to use Instagram, right? I don't, I don't even know how to spell the word. So if you've paid attention to your emails, you kind of know kind of what 2020 was like for us, right? 2020, the Lord was gracious um, financially to us in that we were we we did take one of those government um, one of those government uh, PPP loans, and the Lord has given uh, the government's given us two of those, and those have been a tremendous help. But those are not what are going to sustain us. In the midst of 2020, we had. 40,000 less giving than what our budget was designed for. Now, we only went 10 in the red in 2020 because we just basically froze up a lot of spending. Like, for several months, the bank let us just pay interest only and not principal, just trying to figure this thing out, COVID. But we came into this next year as elders realizing, okay, the Lord has given us a great reserve of savings. Like, right now, we're somewhere in the 150 to 160 range, which is probably some of the healthiest... uh, you're like, $160? I'm sorry, $160,000. Like, oh my goodness. Like, my kids got more in savings than you, okay? Which is great. But yet we know coming into 2021, we, we had 40000 less giving than what a $300,000 budget was needed. And here's what we've seen. Before I got here, even since me, we have not seen our attendance or giving go up. It's continued to do this. We've continued to cut, figure it out. By the way, that doesn't mean anything's wrong with our church. Like, I love our church. Our people love our church. It's like, this is an awesome church. So it's not, it's just whatever the Lord's doing. So um, I, there's a point for me telling you all this, okay? Just backstory, so you have this. So looking at all that, in my own time with the Lord, and trying to see, like, how can I, how can I protect my church? How can I kind of, like, take care of my family? Because the two biggest expenses this church has is its property and me. And so, but we're looking at, we can probably make it for a while, but if we continue to, on this trajectory, we just need to have some, some, some plan Bs. Not in faithlessness, but just trying to be wise. Everybody tracking with me? Now, many of you know that, that on the side, uh, the church, I'm full-time here. By the way, the church takes amazing care of me financially. To be honest with you, our church pays me way more than it can afford for its size and giving, way more. Like, I'm telling you, it's, it, to me, I just I don't even feel it's right half the time, right? Or majority of the time. But the, this church has gone as far as it can go. It's amazing. But I still have to, still need to offset, you know, our income. We, we're a one-income family. So I've been doing that for the last couple of years through teaching out at Mid-America and through counseling outside of our church. I give counseling free of charge for our church. That's my responsibility. But people outside of our church who don't have a church that counsels them, a lot of these people come from very more secularized kind of churches. Well, I had a, there was a, a friend of mine that, that does search engine optimization and was basically kind of spreading my website through the U.S. And basically, I was counseling a lot of people video from the East Coast and West Coast, because there's such kind of bastions of liberalness, like these people can't find good counsel. So 
I was doing that to offset and teaching at the school. Well, by the end of 2020, that went away. The school no longer needed me as an adjunct. They, they hired another full-time professor. And shockingly enough, Google didn't, didn't like that there was a search engine optimization promoting biblical counseling. So they blocked it and made sure that it couldn't happen anymore. So those kind of sources dried up. Go figure. So I rolled into 2021 saying this. Okay, I need something to offset my income on the side. But I do need to position myself in some way that if, our, if, if 2021 continues with a 2020 pace, that our church is going to be okay. I can ask for a reduction of my salary, but take care of my family. Our church can just keep going and we're going to be okay. Are y'all still tracking with me what's going through my head? So here's what happened. I asked our elders if I could, this is kind of crazy, but if you've read our emails, you kind of see. I asked our elders that I've talked to, I talked to Chuck Hutton Toyota if they would make a schedule that respects my pastoral responsibilities and they were willing to do it. They made me a great schedule offer that is, you couldn't ask for anything better. And I told our elders and said, said if, if our church monetarily has issues as we get into 21, 2022, we'll just kind of flip and I'll give a little bit more energy to that and that can support. And, and I, listen, I'll do this for free. I don't even care. Like I, I like... I just love, I just love what I get to do, right? I love my church and I love my people. Now, you had to have all that background for this reason, right? Aren't you glad you got it? Here's why I gave you all that background. Because the other night, Cindy and I were talking, and she had said to me, hey, I've noticed that you haven't posted anything. By the way, I don't even like social media. Does anybody hate social media? I just, ugh, something about it just... You know, like you just have that feeling. But, you know, at times I post things spiritual and stuff. And so one of the things you, you do is, is like part of the job is they ask you to post something once a month, a video. And then my family has said, hey, let us help you. We want to, the girls have some creative things and, and let us help you. We can let and spread the word that this is something you're doing. And I've been so resistant, so resistant, so resistant. And Cindy and I were talking and as she was nefeteoing me, she had said, hey, you've still not said anything about it, and, and why is that? And I'm over here kind of him, him and hawing, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and then finally, it's like I kind of, she kind of gets the confession out of me, and I'm like, I'm just, I'm just kind of embarrassed. And, and the reason, you know, the reason I'm embarrassed is because everything in my life is just more ministry-driven, and so, but this is, let's just, can we be, are we allowed to be honest at church? Is that, is that illegal? Do you ever feel like car salesmen are just kind of a smarmy bunch? Am I the only person that thinks that, right? I mean, okay. So it's just kind of like, it's just like, ah, just would rather people not know and just, I got to let my church know. We sent an email. Half the people don't even read emails anyway, so they don't even know. So I'm just, I mean, can I tell you what I'm thinking in my heart, right? And so I was just like, eh, we're going to be okay. And then I was like, man, if I start getting public with that, people know the people I went to school with. And like, I just don't want to be seen as the persona of what a salesperson kind of does. And I mean, just all this kind of things on my soul. And then in the midst of that, you know, it was, she just lovingly lets me know, like, that's prideful. That's prideful. And she was right. And I thank God for that correction in that moment. And here's what's awesome. 
that only gets happens when you're in those positions where those can happen. Where you are in those relationships, where there's time in his word to position you in humility. Like the Lord was already dealing with me about it. Now you might be going like, Nick, that's so small and silly. Well, not to me. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I didn't want to say anything. It's like I just... Are y'all understanding what my soul is kind of like, kind of thinking, right? But I got corrected. Thank the Lord. By the way, here's the wonderful thing about marriage. If God puts you in marriage, like that's a wonderful platform for correction. And if you're kind of like, well, I'm single, I can't have that. That's a lie. You can have other relationships that put you in those opportunities as well. But I fear for people who aren't in those i fear for every single one that's not meeting with us on a sunday now listen there's some people waiting for their vaccines and you know i got my second vaccine the other day pfizer um i had no side effects except i did gain 30 pounds and so that's just one of the pfizer side effects no if that happens you're going to do but otherwise you're gonna be okay (laughs) and and there's some people that are just waiting to get that and they want to be back but i'm gonna tell you if that's not the case or you have some medical issue, like it's time to come back. Like if you're already moving about life, like it's time to come back. Why? You will not be able to be in positions of correction when you're not interspersed and gathering with the church body. And, and listen, I know at this point people think, well, Nick, you're just saying that because you think your paycheck's on the line. You know, if we don't have enough attendance, we won't have enough giving. And, what, you know, and I'm just like, I don't even, like I'm already making a trajectory that if that has to happen, like, I don't even care. I'll figure, like, I'm trying to chart a pathway that if that plan B has to happen, we'll execute it, and we will keep being a church body and doing whatever we're supposed to do and pastoring and loving each other. I mean, I don't care if there's five of us people that are here because some of 2020 was like that in here. Like, we'll be just fine. But you've got to be in those positions. We are vulnerable, weak people. And you know it. I know it. So this is, their, this is them. Now, you might be like, Nick, you've only got through two verses. (laughs) Come on, man, get on with it. Okay, we will. Look in verse 3. The habits of those that will not receive correction. So I just talked to you about the problem of God's people that will not accept correction. Now let me talk to you about the habits of those that will not receive correction. Look in in the rest of verse 2. Actually, I'm sorry, we didn't even finish verse 2. She does not trust in the Lord... And she does not draw near to her God. So the habits of people who don't receive correction, I've noticed a couple things is they don't trust the Lord. When they're not in his word daily, gathering with their church community weekly, gathering in discipleship community, in prayer, and they, they're not trusting the Lord. I, I'm telling you why I love the word, because every day I get to see what God's character is like, and I need to be reconfirmed of that. And so I trust the Lord when I know what his character is like. And what do I know about his character? I know his character is loving and that he always does what's best. I know that his character is all wise, which means he always knows what is best. I know that he is good. That means what he does is best. And I know that he's sovereign, which means he has the power to bring it about. So like in his word, I'm seeing that like, because he loves me, he always does what is best. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best. In his goodness, he always does what is best. In his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about completely as he wants. And I trust him. Oh, if you ever want to listen to a message on trust, one of the hardest messages we ever preached was the week after, uh, after the fire. 
and we preached a message on trusting God. It was December the 30th, 2018. Go back and listen to that message on our website if you're like, I want to build some of the character of God and trusting him in this season of life. But here's the text. They don't trust the Lord because they're not rehearsing the Lord's character in their life through all the means of grace that God has given them. And not only that, look what. She does not draw near to her God. In the scriptures, gathering with your body, in discipleship groups, in prayer. I'm, I'm telling you, I rarely get like, here's the vision for our church for this year. I'm just not that kind of guy. But this year, the Lord put it on 2021 that if our people cannot commit themselves to pray together monthly, to be in the scriptures daily, to gather in, in, in some kind of weekly group with, with a small group of discipleship and gather together we are going to miss out on, on a godly life that God has. Like, and and the, the consequences are devastation. One of those is we're not in environments for correction. We're that vulnerable. So these are the habits of people who end up really receiving correction well. There's a lot of trust in the Lord in his word. There's a lot of trust. There's a drawing near to God every day. I said this to someone the other day, and it's a true statement. We're all just one day away from acting like pagans. We really are. We are that vulnerable. If you don't think you're that vulnerable, you just have not been a Christian long enough or a Christian who's been discipled enough to realize just how vulnerable you actually really are. Last is this, the corrupting results. The corrupting results when correction is resisted. So we have the problem of God's people not accepting correction in the text. We have the habit of those that will not receive correction. And then we have the corrupting results when correction is not accepted. Verse 3 and 4. Now we got to verse 3. Her officials within her, her government officials, are roaring lions. All right? They're corrupt. They're eating up the people. Sound familiar? Her judges are evening wolves. They leave nothing till the morning. Even the justice system is corrupt. Sound familiar about our country? And by the way, best country on the planet. Best country on the planet. I still believe that, still think that. Still proud to be an American. Love our country. I, I think if, if you're here and you've just spent so much time on social media thinking like our country is the worst country in the world and you just want to escape, I'm telling you, you are living in a dreamland. Everybody else on the planet is trying to get in here, okay? It's a great country. You got to get up every day and thank God that he let you, that he, he has let you live in this country. Great country. But is it corrupt? Sure. Officials, judges. And really, when we see the civil magistrates in some kind of, in, in the throes of not receiving correction, the throes of turning society upside down, we really have to point to the prophets and priests. We have to point to the spiritual leaders. It's us. We've not done our job. Look in verse 4. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. So he's saying, hey, Judah, you've gone so astray because your priests... They're not even obeying the law of Moses. They're not obeying the word of God. Your prophets, they're fickle. They change their mind. They'll say whatever the people want them to say, right? And I'm telling you, that's what every, not every, but from so many of our pulpits in this land this morning, it's pastors manipulating their messages to keep enough butts and bucks and seats. And I'm not trying to be like, man, be hellfire and brimstone. I'm just saying there's a lot of untruths that get told. If you want to know that, just do this. Look at all the worship music being produced right now for God's church. Look at the top 10 songs. Go home. Google it. 
And I'll bet you, because I've already looked, that few of those songs talk about sin, repentance, God's holiness, his justice. Why? Because no one wants to hear that. You know, we're, we're fickle. We got fickle pastors in our pulpits just trying to make a name for themselves. I know it's not what people want to hear sometimes. I get it. But they had the same thing. Their prophets were fickle, treacherous men, changing the message, manipulating it to gain an audience. The priests, they're not even do, the priests aren't doing, are doing violence to God's word. So their country is corrupt. Their, their civilization is corrupt. It's corrupting everything. It's making its way. It's trickling down to the government. It's trickling down to the home. It's trickling down to everything. Now, aren't you glad you came this morning? Like, man, we talked about correction. Man, is there any good news in this, Nick? There actually is good news. Are you ready for some good news? Some good news in this text. But before you can get the good news, sometimes you have to get the what? The bad news. So let's look at the bad news, but there's good news in it, my friends. Look in verse 5. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. So he says, hey, I just want you to know, you won't receive a correction. Those who won't receive correction, it's because they don't trust the Lord. They won't draw near to him. The whole civilization, the whole country, Judah, prophets, priests, officials, judges, it's gone corrupt. But I want you to know, although everybody else has corrupted themselves, the Lord hasn't. His character is just. He does what's right. There is no injustice in his life. He can completely be trusted. And those who can't, the unjust, they know no shame. They just continue in this cycle. Now, you might be going like, where's the good news in that? I don't see any good news. Keep looking at it. Verse 6. Since God is just and he is righteous and he is holy. He says in verse 6. I have cut off nations. He's speaking, speaking for God. God says, I have cut off nations. Their embattlements are in ruins. They have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. So you might be going like, Nick, I don't see the good news in any of this. Like, where is it? Well, here's where it is. He talks about in verse 5, God's holy, righteous character against sin. That God has never held that back from them. He's let them know. And then he says this, I love you so much, Judah. Look at the other nations around. Like, look at Egypt. Look at what I did to Egypt, to other nations. Look at what I did to the nations that were here when you came into the land. Look at what I did. My judgment and justice that came on man's sin. Look at it. Surely, I thought that would be one thing that would show you how holy I am and how what serious business this is. Surely, you would see what my character is like. And listen, this was supposed to actually give you a warning that everything I told you about coming into this land, you, you needed to actually obey and that... That in obedience there will be blessing. Surely, verse 7, the Lord says, as a result of seeing what I did, like, for example, to Egypt, you would fear me and you would accept the correction of what God's word had. You would receive the correction of the law of Moses. Surely you would see this. Now, here's the grace in this. God was so gentle that he judged those other nations like trying to let Israel see what his holiness is like. Like they got to see God's judgment on Egypt. 
Now, where's our grace in this? I'll tell you where it is. Jesus became an Egypt for us on the cross. The wrath of God, our sin, put on his account. And we got to see him judged in our place. We got to see the holiness of God, the wrath of God poured out in our place, not on us. Just like in the text, they had a chance to see what God would do to the unholy nations, what God would do. Like we get to see what God's wrath does, how holy he is and how he did not spare his wrath against his son. And you know what that does? Like when I see what God has done to his son, I see his holiness And all I can do is say, Lord, I accept your correction. I want it. Like, help me. Like, Lord, your way is perfect. Like, you are truly holy. And, Lord, I am so thankful. You satisfied your holiness on your son and not myself. And if God, once again, Romans 8, if he wouldn't withhold his wrath against his son, I'm going to be okay. Like, I can confess. I can receive correction. I can walk in a life that's not about what Nick can get, but a life about what can Nick give. And the thing that we get in life sometimes is we kind of act like life is all about like, what is somebody doing for me? When instead, God would give us a totally different perspective if we were thinking, you know what, life isn't actually about what I can get, but what can I give? In fact, man, here's a person who's disappointed me again today. What an opportunity to show God's grace to them. What an opportunity to love this person the way God loves me. This is what happens when we see the good news. I mean... Jesus has taken the wrath of God in our place. And this is why we sing songs about the gospel. This is why we're going to take communion here in a moment. Because we need to remember that the wrath of God was satisfied. We have seen God judge the nations. And my response is God's people, we want correction. We're open to it. We receive it. We want to give it in humility. We want to help each other. As part of God's plan to be conformed to his image and be ready for glory someday. We want it to be that, like Enoch, we walk so close to God that God says, you got more hanging in than you have hanging out. Like, come on into glory. Like, we want that. Would you do this? Would you stand with me? And we're going to pray over this. And we're going to take communion here in a minute. Before we take communion, we're going to have a time of edify. So if you've come this morning and in your time, or you want to pray a prayer over the church, or God has done something this week, you want to edify the body, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. Um, and then we're going to take communion and dismiss. And we need to take communion today. We need to remember the cross. We need to remember the good news. This is going to help us in this area of correction. Would you pray with me? I'm so thankful to gather again with God's people. I'm so thankful that we're in a place where we can be vulnerable. I pray that we can be vulnerable with each other. I pray that we can listen. I pray that our relationships would look that way. And I pray for that correcting grace that we all need in all of our relationships. It'll be receptive. So I bless our time of singing and taking your communion and remembering you. We sure need it for just a moment. Help us in that. And God's people said, Amen.